0: Everybody, will you please stand for the Bible reading? On the day of the Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven, like a roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. Everyone was present and filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages, as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. Where they had heard loud noises, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be, they exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our native languages. You may be seated. Good morning, everybody. How we doing? It's good to see you. Um, Glad you're here today. Last week we started a, uh, a series called Wildfire where we're reading the stories of the first Christians and uh, we find those stories in a letter that was written by a guy named Luke to a guy named Theophilus. We know it as the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. It's in the Bible. And it's called Acts because it's literally the acts, the actions of the first Christians and the disciples. And so we're spending the fall uh, reading this letter and hearing these stories of The first Christians, and that's a lot, so we're not going to go just like every week, start to finish. We'll take some breaks along the way. Um, But what we're doing is we're trying to see, we're reading these stories, and we're trying to understand and learn how this small group of Christians that were uneducated by our standards and non-influential really had nothing they could leverage, how those people of 120 caused the message of Jesus and the church to spread like wildfire. Because that's what happened. And I shared these numbers with you last week, but I want to share them with you again, just so you can kind of see the scale of what we're talking about. We know that in the first gathering together of the first Christians, there were about 120 people. Uh, we know that. We read about that last week. And history tells us that those 120, in just a few years, by 40 AD, turned into about 1,000 Christians and then we know that by 100 A.D., that turned into about 7,000 Christians. And then we know that by 200 A.D., there were over 200,000 Christians. And then by 300 A.D., there were over 5 million Christians. And then today, uh, stats tell us that there are somewhere over 2.5 billion Christians on the planet. And that number's growing by about 45 million every year. That is wildfire, 120 to now uh, billions of Christians. So the question is, how did that happen? That doesn't just happen. Nobody's worshiping Zeus anymore. So his followers, it didn't happen for them. But something about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, something about Jesus and these people caused this message to spread like wildfire. And so we're trying to figure out what happened and how that happened and how that could happen to us. How could we spread this message of Jesus and his church? And that's what we're learning this fall. And um, I mentioned it earlier, but this letter was written to a guy named Theophilus. This is another reason it's kind of interesting, because Theophilus was a skeptic. He was not a believer. He was actually a government official, and he hired Luke to, to write about what was happening but Luke believed that the stories of the first Christians were so compelling that the skeptic if he heard these stories would come to faith in Jesus Christ and so I'm praying that happens for some of you that there are many of you maybe in the room today who are cynical or skeptical about Jesus about religion about faith and I love that you're here I'm a recovering skeptic myself, cynic myself, and so I'm glad that you're here. And I am praying and hoping and believing that what Luke believed about Theophilus will also be true about you, that as you hear these stories of these first Christians, that you would be compelled to, to put your faith in, in Jesus Christ. All right. And so this week we come to what is the most crucial and probably the most well known story. In the entire letter uh, of Acts, and it's a story known as the Day of Pentecost, and we just read it together. It is really remarkable. Theologi- the- theologians um, all pretty much agree that this is probably the third most important day in the entire history of of, of the story of our existence. That, from a Christian perspective, creation is one of the most important three days. And the resurrection of Jesus Christ is probably the second most important, uh, if not the most important day. But then the day of Pentecost would be the third most important day in in all of, of history. And I'm genuinely curious what you think and how you react when you hear the details of this story of the day of Pentecost. I mean, some of the things that we read in there are... Uh, remarkable, dramatic, uh, different. And I'm genuinely curious what you think when you read the story. And I know that there are some of us in the room, many of us in the room, uh, that grew up in a Pentecostal uh, church or theology or uh, church or tribe. And we are very familiar with this story. Matter of fact, the denomination that our church belongs to, the logo for the denomination is a cross with a symbol of fire on the cross going back to this, this story. And, and, and many of us in the room grew up Pentecostal. Uh, we were a part of church services or maybe parents or grandparents. And so this is a very common story to us. These types of experiences don't seem that odd to us. And so that's one kind of reaction. is like, oh, just familiarity with it. But I know there are others of you that have maybe read this story before or heard this story before. And it's in there. You know it's in there. Uh, but you just kind of move on. You know, it's maybe intimidating or a little bit uh, strange or it's like, you know what? It's in there, that's fine, but, but let's move on, you know? But then others of you are here today and you're maybe hearing it for the very first time. You didn't even know this was in there. That there was this gathering of people, believers that were together and one day there was what sounded like a... A rushing mighty wind, and what appeared to be uh, fire uh, coming down and resting on their heads, and and they were speaking in other languages, and people were hearing things in in their native tongue, and like you never knew this was in there, but but here it is. And so I'm genuinely curious what you think and what you feel when. You read the details of this story, the wind, the fire, the tongues, the, the, the just the dramatic nature um, of, of the day. And I guess even more so than than being curious about what you think, I, I I guess I'm probably more curious about whether or not you would want to ever experience something like this. I mean, because that's kind of a different question, right? And I think it's something that we all need to kind of think about today. As you read the details of this story, I wonder, would you ever want to have an experience like this? Would you ever want to be a part of a, of a church service? Would you ever want to come in here on a Sunday morning or go to your you know small group? And as you're there and somebody says, well, hey, why don't we get started with prayer? And you bow your heads to pray. And all of a sudden, as someone begins to pray, you hear what sounds like a tornado coming down the street and fire, you know, you look up and what appears to be like fire is coming down from the ceiling. And then people are are speaking in other languages, like you're in a church service, you're in a group. Would Would you ever want an experience like that to happen to happen to you? I think that's an interesting question. And so what I want to do today uh, is I want to kind of split my sermon in two, if I can. And I want to take the first part of the message and I want to explain what happened. So the first little bit, I'm just going to try to explain a little bit of the history and what happened and why this is important. But then for the second part of my message, I want to try to convince you that you should want it to happen to you. Okay, so the first part is what happened and the second part is going to be me trying to convince you that you should want it to happen to you. Okay? All right. So let's do that. So to understand what happened, part one of this, to understand what happened, we got to go back 1,200 years with a little bit of Jewish history to the story of Moses. You're probably familiar with the story of Moses, but Moses is sent by God back to Egypt to be the deliverer because his people had been enslaved for over 400 years. And so God sends Moses back, and you're familiar probably with the story of the 10 plagues. And on the last night, the 10th plague, on the last night... God's people are going to leave Egypt, but before they do that, God sends an angel to punish the Egyptian people for the way that they had re- rejected God and, and treated his people. And so God sends an angel to punish the land there and the families there, but, but the angel passes over all of the homes that are marked by God's people. That's why it's called the Passover, because the angel's The angel passed over the homes that were marked uh, by God's people. And so on that night, uh, the night of the 10th plague, God's people come out of, uh, of Egypt. They go a little bit and they miraculously cross the Red Sea. You're probably familiar with that story. Moses raises his staff. The waters split. The people go across the Red Sea. The enemies drown in the water. And then God's people come out into the desert, into the wilderness, and they camp there. And about 50 days later, after they have camped in the wilderness or the, or the desert, God tells Moses, invites Moses, says he wants to meet with Moses up on the mountain, a particular mountain called Mount Sinai. He wants Moses to come up on the mountain. And so Moses gets all the people together and the people gather around Mount Sinai. But only Moses uh, at this point goes up on the mountain. This is all happening, uh, Exodus chapter 19, Exodus chapter 20, if you want to if you want to read about it. And so Moses goes up on to Mount Sinai, and God gives Moses what we know of as the Ten Commandments and all of the other laws that are in the first five books of the Bible, 613 of them. So as Moses is up on the mountain, God is is speaking to him, and the people are gathered around the mountain. But it's not just that Moses gets the laws, and the commandments, something else also happens is that while God meets with Moses, as God uh, uh, descends onto the mountain, as his presence comes to the mountain, there is shaking, and the mountain begins to shake, and there is lightning and thunder. And as you might imagine, the people who are gathered around the mountain are intimidated, frightened, because they are seeing what happens when God Himself descends onto this, this place? I don't read their words to you. This is what they said Exodus chapter 20, just two verses 18 and 19. When the people heard the thunder and the loud blast of the ram's horn, and when they saw the flashes of lightning and the smoke billowing from the mountain, they stood at a distance, trembling with fear. And they said to Moses, You speak to us and we will listen, but don't let God speak directly to us or we will die. In other words, the people say, okay, we see what it looks like and we see what happens when God himself interacts and comes into play with us. And so Moses, you be the mediator. You go talk to God. You tell us what God wants. We'll talk to you. You you go tell God what we want, but we're not going to interact with God individually. That's too dangerous. You do it. You do it for us. This was a significant moment in Jewish history, still is to this day, when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments and the law. The Jewish people call it Shabbat. It's the celebration of God giving Moses their law. But we as non-Jewish people and as Christians, we don't call it Shabbat. We have another name for it. We call it the, the day of Pentecost. We call it Pentecost simply because penta means 50. It's not because of anything else other than Penta means 50, and so it was 50 days after they came uh, out of Egypt. So 50 days after the Passover, which on our church calendar is about seven Sundays after Easter, give or take, Easter, give or take. And so we call it the day of Pentecost. And so the story that we read today with God's spirit coming into the room and descending on his people and there being what sounded like mighty wind and fire, it happened 1,200 years to the day that God descended on the mountain with Moses and the people. Now, that's either the craziest coincidence of all time, or more likely, God was up to something. God was doing this thing on this day For a specific reason. And and, and I'm curious, maybe you're curious, about why that would be. Why would God choose 50 days after Passover, the day of Pentecost, to send his spirit to fill the room where the first Christians were meeting together? I think that's the best part. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you know that God was very active in the lives of people speaking to them and performing miraculous acts. But he put his presence and his power and his spirit, he put them in objects or things like the mountain story that we just talked about today, that God's presence or power it would descend onto a mountain. Or uh, there was, a, um, in simple terms, there was a gold box that was called the Ark of the Covenant. And, and God's presence resided in that box. And there were tents and temples where, you know, uh, smoke or a cloud, not really smoke, a cloud would cover the temple or the tent. Or, and so all throughout the Old Testament, God's presence and his power would show up in objects and and in things. And that, that's really, you know, a good part of the Bible in the Old Testament. That's the way that God is is showing up in in situations. But then when you get to the New Testament and you get to the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, God does not put his presence or his power in objects or things. He puts his presence and his power in a person, Jesus Christ. So it's no more gold boxes, mountains, temples, or tents. Now God's presence and power exists in a single person, Jesus Christ. So when Jesus speaks, it's God speaking. When Jesus performs miracles, it's God performing miracles. The presence and the spirit and the power of God is residing in the person of Jesus Christ. Is everybody still with me? You're learning so much today. You're learning so much. But then Jesus leaves. Matter of fact, the very beginning of Acts chapter 1, he's talking to his disciples, and it says that he ascends. He just ascends to heaven. Like, Quite literally, you can go read it, Acts chapter 1. My man just floats up in the sky to heaven. And the disciples are just looking at the sky like this, like what? We were just talking. And he went up. And and an angel, you can read it. I told you we believe crazy things. An angel shows up and says to the disciples, Why are you guys looking up in the sky? He's gone. He's gone. And so they go back to Jerusalem. And they wait, they get together, And they do what we do when we get together for church. We wait. We're waiting on the return of Christ. Jesus said he was going to come back. They thought it would be like next Tuesday, next Wednesday. It would be like a week or two. They weren't sure how long. We don't know when it's going to happen. But they would gather together while they wait. That's what we do. We gather together while we wait. And so in the Old Testament, God's presence and power existed in things and objects. And the Gospels, God's presence existed in a person of Jesus Christ. But now here are these 120 Christians gathered together in this upper room or this, this gathering place where they are. And on this day, 1,200 years after God descends on the mountain, God descends again. But he doesn't put his presence or his power in the building It's not about the room. It's not in the bricks or the foundation. This time, instead of a mountain or a box or a single person in Jesus Christ, God's power and spirit descended on his people. Now, he inhabited his people. And once God's power filled the people. They begin to speak in other languages. Now we don't have time to get into this today. I promise you, we will, because it's going to come up many, many times in the story. But I, uh, I do think it's important to point out, just for the sake of today, that what's happening on this day specifically, as they begin to speak in other languages, is not what we typically mean when we talk about speaking in tongues. Which again is a whole other sermon that we will talk about in the series. But what's happening? on this day is not so much that they're speaking in like tongue heavenly language and nobody knows what it means. What's happening on this day is that these Jewish people open their mouth and they are speaking in other actual native languages that they've never learned before. And so all the other people are hearing what the Bible says are the wonderful deeds of God, the wonderful things about God in their language. So it would be like me opening my mouth today and and enabled only by the Spirit of God speaking in German or in French or in Spanish, even though I don't know any of those languages. But if a German or a French or a Spanish person was sitting here, when they heard me speak, they would be like, oh, I know exactly what he's saying. He's speaking my language. Does that make sense to everybody? So God's Spirit descends on his people. They are now filled, infilled, baptized in the Holy Spirit, and they begin to speak in these other languages. And what I think is the coolest part is that while all this is happening, it's so loud and so dramatic and so amazing that because it's a holiday, the day of Pentecost, the Bible says that there are people from every nation that we know of, every known language that that they knew of at the time are there. Which means that God on this day decided that there would be no nation, no people group, no language barrier that every language, tribe, tongue, people could know about the wonderful work of God. I mean, that's pretty crazy. That God on this day was removing a language barrier, but he was also removing any type of superiority. That No language is better than another language. No color of skin is better than another color of skin. That no no place or style is better than any other place in style. That on this day, according, we don't have a chance to read it because it's, it's a long chapter, but you can go back and read it next too. That every known language was there so that on this day, 120 people who had no other language skills... In every known language, told everybody who was listening about the wonderful works of God, and so that's what happened. And that's awesome. That's what happened. But I want to go back to the first question, or not the first question. I want to go back to the question I asked you um, at the beginning. As I have explained to you what's happened, my. I wonder, would you ever want something like this to happen to you? Would you ever want to be in a service or a gathering together with what sounds like mighty winds and what appears to be tongues of fire resting on people's heads and people speaking in other languages? Would you want that to happen to you? And I've thought a lot about that this week. I've thought about that question for me personally. Would I, would I want to be a part of, of something like that? And I think for most of us, many of us in the room, I think there's two answers. I think one answer is yes, and the other answer is I don't know. And I think the first answer of yes is existence is like bleh. But if you're telling me that I could have the opportunity to experience and connect something otherworldly, something beyond this like just humdrum existence that I have, Then, yeah, I'm in. Sign me up. But then there's another side of the question that says, I'm in, but can I pick how I want it to happen? Because I want to kind of control the environment. I want to kind of, you know, pick and choose. Like, I like the wind, maybe not the fire. You know, or like, and so in, in, in all honesty, like we joke about it, but we live in a time now where like almost everything is to our preference and discretion and we get to control our environments and opt out of what we don't want to do and, and all those things. And so here we are reading, and remember 1200 years earlier, the people see what it, what appears to happen when God descends and they're like, no, no. And here are these people and God is filling them and we see this and it's beyond our control and it's beyond our understanding to a certain extent and it's beyond our preferences to a certain extent. And so, yeah, you're telling me I can like experience something beyond myself. I want that. But you're also telling me that I can't be in control, can't decide exactly how it happens. I don't know. I don't know. I'm not sure about the tongues part. I'm not sure about the, the miracles. I mean, as we read through the book of Acts, you're going to see these people filled with God's Spirit, and they're going to speak in tongues. There's going to be miracles, there's going to be visions. And, I, you know, it's always been easy. I mean, you can read out throughout history, like, people have always been cynical and skeptical of stories like this, but maybe it's never been easier to be cynical or skeptical. You read these things and you say, eh, no, I don't know. I I doubt it, right? And so I am genuinely curious. Would you want something like this to happen to you, for you? Be a part of an environment where something like this would happen? I want to read you one more verse from the New Testament. It's not in Acts. It's in Corinthians, which all of the New Testament letters all the New Testament books, what we call the Bible in the New Testament, all of them are just letters uh, or historical accounts, depending on which book they are, written to the first generation of Christians. So, what we're going to read in just a second was not written to the first Christians, but it was written to the first generation of Christians. So, maybe 20, maybe 30 years later, after the story we read today, now this message is spreading. You know, thousands and thousands of people are now Christians. And so, the Apostle Paul wrote many of them. There are some others, but he wrote many of these letters to the first generations of Christians, trying to help them to know how to live the Christian life and and to keep the faith until Christ returns. And so there's there's a lot of scriptures we could read that set up the one scripture we're about to read, but I think the scripture stands okay on its own. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, towards the end of the letter, Paul talking to this first generation of Christians says this very simply. He says, let love be your highest goal. You know that. Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. Love your neighbors yourself. Love's the most important. But, he says, you should also desire the special abilities the Spirit gives. Especially the ability to prophesy. He just throws an example in there for you. Let love be your high school. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, you've, they've probably read 1 Corinthians thirteen. So the whole chapter leading up to this statement is about love and how we need to love and how important it is to love and uh, all those things. So, like, Paul's not saying that special abilities the Spirit gives is the most important thing. He says love is the most important thing. Jesus said that. Love God. Love your neighbor. Love, you know. So love is the most important thing. But to these first generations of Christians, Paul says. You believe in Jesus, you believe in the cross, you believe in the resurrection, you're waiting on him to return, love people, love God, yes, but you should also desire the special abilities that the Spirit gives. And he gives one example of this, which is prophecy. But according to who you read and what you believe, there are probably about 17, what we would call spiritual gifts or special abilities that the Spirit gives. These are things like, um, discernment, or uh, faith, or giving, or knowledge, or mercy, or prophecy, or wisdom, or tongues. There's, there's, there's these. There's quite literally special abilities that the Spirit of God can give you while you wait on the Lord to return, and while you gather together with Christians. And if I could paraphrase Paul's words, I think it would be fair to say in a very simple way, I think Paul is saying to you and to me and to them, you should want this. You should want this. When, When you read about the ability that the Holy Spirit can give you to do certain things beyond yourself, to tap into a higher power, a different kind of power, you should want this. To which most of us say, yeah, maybe, I think, depending. Paul says, no, you should want it. You should want it. Have you ever, have you ever had a, an instance or a scenario where you were with a friend who was really struggling, or a family member who was really struggling, and you just wish that you had the perfect thing to say? perfect advice to give. The perfect encouragement that you could share with them. You ever been in a moment like that? According to the Bible, that there, there, is, there is a special ability that the Holy Spirit can give you in that moment to be able to say exactly what needs to be said for that person to receive the advice or the encouragement that they need. Beyond your intelligence or your empathy or your emotional intelligence, there's a special ability the Holy Spirit gives in that moment for you to be able to say the perfect thing. Or maybe maybe you've ever been in an instance where... You wanted more boldness because you wanted to speak up about your faith or about Jesus or you wanted to take a stand on something, but you were so afraid to lose your job or maybe in different countries, you know, to to lose your life or to lose a relationship or whatever. According to the Bible, there is a special ability that the Spirit can give you to have boldness beyond the normal human level of boldness that you have now there is different level of boldness already in the room because some of you are tough and challenging and 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 stubborn and others of you are are weak you know it's like sandpaper different degrees okay and so but but the bible says that beyond even your natural disposition for courage and boldness that there's a special ability that the holy spirit can give you to be able to stand in boldness and courage in the face of fear Paul says you should want that you should want that Or maybe you've been in an instance where someone you love or care about or work with is sick. Maybe they just got a diagnosis or they've been injured. And everything inside of you wants to pray for them and wants them to be healed. But you're afraid. Because what if you pray for them and they're not healed? Or what if you pray for them and you sound foolish? Or what if they're... Scared by your prayer or, 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 or whatever it is. And according to the Bible, that there, there is a special ability that the Holy Spirit can give you that you could pray for that person and that they could be miraculously healed. And Paul says, you should want that. You should want that. And we could keep going through all of these instances of, of the spiritual gifts of discernment to be able to know something that maybe you shouldn't be able to know on your own. Or generosity, to see a need and to be able to meet it beyond just your good math skills and saving ability. Or the ability to have mercy in a situation where other people don't have it. Or the ability to pray and speak in a language that no one understands except that which the Spirit would interpret for someone. And Paul says in each and every instance, you should want that. You should want that. Because it is God, not in a box anymore and not in the form of Jesus, but it's God himself in spirit form descending on you and baptizing you and filling you, allowing you to live the Christian life. But not just to help you, but to help all the other people who are gathered with you today while we wait. While we wait. And so here again... And we could do this every week, honestly, but here again we see how the Christian message uh, differs from society and culture. Because society and culture says all the answers you need are inside of yourself, look within. If you'll look long enough and hard enough, you'll find out who you are, you'll find out what you want, you'll find the strength, the courage, the resolve to be who you need to be, who you were always meant to be. But the Christian message says you don't have in yourself what you need, that's why you need a Savior. So God sends Jesus. And then after you put your faith in Jesus Christ on the cross and the resurrection, you say, I believe in that. Now I am saved. The Bible says the answer is not in yourself. That there is something outside of yourself. A power and a spirit of God outside of yourself that, pick your word, will fill you, baptize you, um, uh, 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 um, come upon you. It's something outside. When you become a Christian, you have the Spirit of God, Ezekiel says, like in your soul, in your spirit, in your heart, however you want to, what word you want to use. God is always with us. We're never alone. His presence is always with us. That is true too. But as we read through the stories of these first Christians, it's not just that the Spirit of God is with us, that God is with me right now. It's that there's also the opportunity that I have in order to have something else outside of myself that gives me according to Paul, like a special ability to live this Christian life and to help my special ability helps you live the Christian life too. And your special ability helps me live the Christian life while we wait on Christ to return. But, and this is a big but, it requires your participation. It requires your participation. God is not going to Go against what you want and mess with your life. Or send his spirit in some way that's going to go against what you want. He's not going to handcuff you to the wall and make something happen to you. Paul says you should want it. And if you want it, God will give it. He'll give it. And so every day you and I have the opportunity to come to God and to ask him, to fill us, to fill us with more of his spirit and his power. We have, we have God, we have his spirit, we believe in Jesus Christ, we have more than enough, we will be in heaven. We're not talking about extra things that are required. But we also have the ability to come to God and say, God, will you give me outside of myself, beyond myself, will you give me more of your spirit and your power? Will will you will you do what I cannot do, and help me in ways that I cannot help myself, and He will fill us, and He will empower us, and He will strengthen us, supernaturally. And Paul says, you should want that. You should want that. So let me let me challenge two groups. There's probably we could break it up into different groups, but I think two groups covers most of us today. Okay. As we end this, I want to just challenge two groups of people. The first group of people are those who grew up in this. And I say us, like uh, those of us who grew up in this, because I, I grew up in this. And so we're familiar with the language. We've got our stories. Sometimes we've got our nostalgia. And we either love and cherish it, and so we have certain ways that we think it has to go and needs to be in order to count as real, or... We are very cynical and skeptical, and we've got baggage, and we're like, yeah, I was a part of that. I was raised in that. I went to that church. That's ridiculous. I don't want anything to do with that. For those of us who were raised in this, I want to challenge you to set aside your stereotypes, to set aside your preferences, and to set aside your baggage. That's the first group. But the second group are those of you that you are brand new to this. You didn't grow up in this. Some of you are hearing this story for the very first time today. And and you didn't even know we were a Pentecostal church. You're not sure if you're coming back. (laughs) But you're brand new to this. And maybe, you know, you had a relative who visited a church one time. Or maybe you visited a church one time and You'd never heard this story. You just saw the way they were doing what they were doing. Or or maybe, maybe you, you're distrusting of people. And, and, and so there's just a million reasons why you would say like, eh, I don't know about that. I want to really challenge you today to set aside your fears, to set aside your cynicism and your skepticism, and what I want to challenge all of us to do is to come to God today and every day and to pray this simple prayer God, I'm open. And I want everything you have for me. God, I'm open. I'm open. I don't know exactly what you're doing, I don't know how you do it all, I don't get to control it, I don't have an explanation for all of it, but God, I'm open. And I want everything you have for me. Because we do, right? I mean, we do want everything he has for us. But if that's true, and it is, surely you know that there are things that God has for you that are outside of your comfort zone. Surely you know that. I was talking to one of our students at camp after one of the night services that was a little bit more rambunctious than we're used to here at Hope City Church. And she she kept saying to me, she just kept using the word uncomfortable, uncomfortable, uncomfortable. And I said, now by uncomfortable, uncomfortable do you mean you were not comfortable? And she said, yeah. I was like, that sounds like God. <laughs> Unsafe, that's different. Uncomfortable means I'm comfortable here, but I feel like, God, you were doing this. And God says, yeah, that's right. And Paul says, you should want that. You should want that. And here's what I know. I know that if we want to change this city and spread the message of Jesus Christ, it will require the supernatural help of the Holy Spirit in, work, in the work of all of our lives. We're not smart enough, charismatic enough, influential enough, wealthy enough, We're not. We need the supernatural, special help of the Holy Spirit. And so as your pastor, I'm going to lead the way. I want that. God, I'm open. I want everything that you have for me. But at Hope City Church, God, we're open. And we want everything that you have for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus so that I never have to wonder if you love me. I don't have to wonder if I'm saved. I don't have to wonder if I have a relationship with you. God, because you sent Jesus. But God, I pray for all of us today who have put our faith in Jesus Christ, but have maybe stopped short of experiencing everything you have for us. God, I pray that today we'd be open. We'd be open. We'd be willing to... Get outside of our comfort zone, our preferences, our need to control our environments. And we would just come to you with a willingness, curiosity, and a hunger to experience everything you have for us that will help us live this Christian life and help those around us live this Christian life, God. And so, God, I just pray for us as a church, God, we're open we're open. We want everything you have for us. And God, I pray for every believer in this room right now. Help us to set aside our preferences, our stereotypes, our cynicism, our skepticism, our fears. God, help us to lean in to what you want to give us and do for us in our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.